the J Talk podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the J Talk podcast. I'm Johnny Nickel, and I'm filling in for Ben while he's back in Australia. This week, I'll be reviewing round 24 of the 2023 J1 season. In just a moment, I'm going to be joined by my guest, who will be a familiar voice to regular listeners. It's Neil Debnam, who is at Frontali Rabbit on Twitter, and we're going to discuss his Kawasaki side strip to Sanfrecce Hiroshima, among other Frontali-related topics. After that, I'll run through the other eight games from this match week, basically in the same order as they were played. I'll split them into two sections, so four games apiece, and I'll also hand out Player of the Round and Under-23 Player of the Round awards before finishing with a look ahead to Round 25. Okay, how does that all sound? So now, after a quick hit of music, you'll hear me in conversation with Neil Debnam. Uh, hi Neil, uh, thanks very much for, for joining me on this Sunday afternoon uh, and also thanks very much for, for honouring your commitment to, to come on the pod. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm hot, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's nice to record in the daytime for a change. I think you said that in a previous, when you were speaking to John Steele, but yeah, it does feel kind of weird <laughs> and uh, yeah, fresh, fresh from uh, watching another fantastic performance. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Neil. I, I am contractually obliged to, to mention the details of, of last night's game, where uh, your Kawasaki Frontale side they travelled to to face Sanfrecce Hiroshima. Uh, Jung Sung Young, who I believe was uh, man of the match in your your recent blog post, uh, he saved Piero Sotirio's header from a Takaki Chichi cross in the 14th minute. However, from the resulting uh, Makoto Mitsuda corner, he was left helpless as Pieros volleyed home from close range. Uh, Sanfrecci's lead, though, uh, only lasted less than a quarter of an hour as a good break down the frontale left led to Yusuke Sagawa crossing in with the outside of his boot and Yasto Wakizaka, he made no mistake with the finish, uh, somewhat making up for his miss against Vissel last week. Um, before half-time, the, the team's traded chances. A long-range Takumu Kawamura shot was deflected onto Jung's post before a lovely Juan Schmidt threw ball fed Shin Yamada and he forced a smart save out of Keisuke Osako from the edge of the area. Um, at half-time, Sam Fredschi introduced new signing Marcos Jr. into the fray and uh, he was quickly into the action, uh, teeing up Mutsuki Kato, but he could only stab his effort wide. Uh, Kato was then denied by the feet of Jung from close range following good work down the right-hand side. On the hour, though, uh, Hiroshima did go back in front, uh, Kawasaki needlessly giving away possession in their own defensive thirds. Uh, Mitsuda found Marcos Jr., who got away from Tatsuki Seko, and he fired across Jung into the bottom corner. Uh, just over 10 minutes later, Frontali were able to equalise for a second time, though. Uh, Wakizaka, the provider, as his neat back heel set up Miki Yamane, who fired powerfully low into Osako's bottom corner. Uh, 2-2. So with, with five minutes of normal time remaining, uh, Jung had to be alert to smother Sota Koshimichi's efforts. However, then, with the game seemingly headed for a draw, uh, Kawasaki ceded possession on the halfway line and the ball was played to Marcos Jr., who swivelled and slipped through a pass to Mitsuda. Hiroshima's talisman then raced in on goal and fired high into Jung's net for the winner. Sanfrecci's second injury time winner in as many weeks. While unfortunately for Frontali, Neil, that is the second time in three outings they've conceded winners late on. Sanfrecci, of course, finished third last year, Frontali second. Uh, both sides have slipped back a bit this season. Now, Neil, I don't want to torture you too much by talking about the game a whole lot. And Hiroshima fans, don't, don't worry. Uh, spoiler alert, I will be talking about Makoto Mitsuda a bit more in part two. 
And Neil, I'd like to direct your attention uh, to, to the future. Uh, Frontale, like Hiroshima, have a lot of very good stats which don't really seem to be translating themselves into results. Um, how do you feel? I mean, in your view, does it require someone from the outside to come in and like completely revolutionise the style of play? You know, is it largely down to, to bad luck, things going wrong? Or, or, or is it the players? I mean, what's your sort of blueprint for, for getting Kawasaki back up to the top of J1? Um, hmm. <laughs> the, the ultimate question. Uh, I mean, I think everybody knows what I'm going to say here, but I will sort of preface it slightly by saying that I think we've had the same problem since we last won the title. Uh, when Mitoma left, mm-hmm. we've been playing the same way since then and to sort of diminishing returns. And I think the end of that season, we, we still had enough to just get us over the line. Uh, last season, we were pretty... Poor, I think we, but we were lucky. I think for us to finish second last year and sort of only lose it on the last day of the season was absolutely ridiculous, as far as I was concerned, because we we won so many games we didn't deserve to win, and our play was just just as bad uh, as sort of as it as it was this year. But this year we really don't have any luck. But I think you you make your own luck. <laughs> He says handily uh, changing the subject to point the finger directly at our manager because I think he's he's never had that many ideas. Um, but in the past it worked. In the past we had players, and in the past perhaps other teams didn't know how to play against us. But we've been well and truly found out sort of most of last year and pretty much all of this year. And I think are we in tenth? I think we're in tenth. And to be honest, that is an absolute miracle. With some of the terrible stuff we've played this year. So I think a management change is is essential. Um, I, I don't know if it will be someone from outside. We have a tradition of sort of promoting internally. Um, and when people ask me who, who I think should be the new manager on the rare occasions that this kind of question comes up, because most Frontale fans are still uh, happy clappy, I think is the phrase I like to use. Um, <laughs> But when people ask me about this, I say I'm quite happy with uh, the assistant manager Terada to take over because I think anybody could take over at the moment and have uh, a better effect than Oniki. And I know that sounds very uh, horrible, horribly mean to someone who's had great success at the club. But I mean, he really should have resigned at the end of last year. I think at the end of last year, he could have um, left and said, oh, you know, oh, we, we lost too many players and we did our best. We almost did it on the last day. Thank you very much. I'll go somewhere new. But I think by the end, by the time we reach the end of this season, I think he's going to have trashed his reputation in quite a lot of people's eyes. Um, so, yeah, it's the, it's the manager. I think if, if he could suddenly wake up tomorrow and realise that playing exactly the same tactics and like three or four players every week who are in terrible form and are sort of losing their skills rapidly i don't really want to mention any names but i think everybody <laughs> can guess who they are um i think if he if he had a sort of a moment of uh, enlightenment and thought oh maybe let's go back to basics and stop trying this ridiculously pedestrian build-up um maybe maybe we could uh salvage something and maybe he could continue but i think that's extremely unlikely but at, at the same time i think it's kind of unlikely that we'll fire him. I think he has to choose to go himself. Um, and, and whether he'll do that, I don't know, because 
he's as as I said, he's tarnished his reputation with some people, I think, and he's definitely um, lessened his employability, I'd say, <laughs> with um, recent uh, complete inflexibility. So. So yeah, sorry, Oniki. Thank you very much. And he's a lovely guy, apparently. Everybody mm-hmm. says, even the players, uh, which which kind of shocks me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but I think he's. I think he's got to go. I'm afraid. I think I was just checking what, what you were talking there, Neil. And you're actually still you're still ninth in the league, still technically in the, the top half, ahead of uh, FC Tokyo and Gamba on on goal difference. And yeah, I remember reading, I think it was last week you were talking about Oniki in, in your blog and saying he might struggle to find a job. And I thought maybe, yeah, but then on the other side of the coin, Ken Yusugimoto is still contracted to a J1 club and he hasn't done anything since 2017. So I think, yeah, he could probably lose every game to the end of the season and Oniki would still have, have offers uh, raining down on him for, for work. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, maybe a, a bit more positive, you, you have had one one new recruit over the, the summer transfer window, and that is uh, Bafitimi Gomez, um, who I must admit, I was at work when I saw this this notice come in, and you know I, I thought that's a very good signing for Fontali. Then I did see your post that he was he was 38 years old, which sort of tarnished it a bit for, for me. Uh, I saw him do a very nice interview in, in English. It looked like he just exited the, the toilet at the Shinkansen station. So he's obviously very, very, very popular that the media were keen for, for comment. But what, what do you make of his uh, his signing? What, what role do you see him playing? Uh, I think uh, I, I should sort of preface this by saying that I'm I'm pretty uh, clueless when it comes to football, apart from Frontale and Leighton Orient in recent years. So I didn't I, I vaguely recognised his name, um, uh, but I didn't sort of realise quite how exciting a signing this is, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was like, oh, we signed a player. Oh, he's famous. Oh, he's a striker. Oh, OK, fair, fair enough. Oh, he's. 38 years old. He's the second oldest player at the club, which is, I mean, perhaps we've got a young front line, <laughs> including Ianaga. Doesn't make sense, does it really? But uh, and this is like, basically, he will. I guess he will play in the sort of the the middle up front in the middle, which is basically where Yamada, uh, Damian, Kobayashi. Miyashiro all want to play so that's now five players for the one position that we really didn't need strengthening and still the defense is just uh hopeless and when you I mean I'd forgotten about uh Tanabe who we called back from loan from Jeff early in the season and he came in and played well then got injured and I'd completely forgotten about him till someone mentioned it on my tweet last night and it's like yeah that's the worst move he's made in his career because (laughs) We have defenders, uh, fit defender, but we're still playing a midfielder in defence. And uh, I'm kind of rambling slightly now, but I think I think the big benefit, apart from the fact that I can kind of see from what people have said, especially Kawasaki Frontale France, who who uh, who loves to wind people up on Twitter, <laughs> and I quite enjoy uh, reading that as well. Um, but he says he he has a, a feeling that he's going to do really well and make quite an impact. And I think perhaps that was half the point of the signing in a way, because uh, with Oniki under pressure, but not really under pressure, um, I think, as I said, the fans are still fairly uh, positive towards him. But I think this is quite a nice distraction from quite how poorly we're doing this year. 
that we get this kind of famous guy in with a, a, a legendary goal celebration and <laughs> who seems to be very smiley as well. So <laughs> I think it, it's it's very good for fan morale, mm-hmm. uh, probably for team morale as well. He seems like he's getting on with everyone else already. Um, but yeah, I mean... Maybe it will help us in the ACL, but maybe it will help us score some goals and go out in the group stage again in the ACL. I mean, I have no confidence in Oniki being able to navigate a group stage of a knockout competition. We couldn't even get through uh, the Levan Cup one. So um, I think, yeah, I think he will lift people's spirits. But I mean, he's clearly not one for the future. And uh, I imagine he's... Uh, getting quite a bit of money from us so it's just a mystery I think it's just a a morale boost for everyone really but I feel like my morale could need it could do with some boosting so I'm quite happy to be boosted well it's interesting you mentioned there I wanted to ask you about the the ACL because the the draw is made on the the 24th of of August which is is later this week Um, and then there's the six match days and and unlike previous um, like Covid era uh, renditions of the competition it'll actually be played like you know match day one and a couple of weeks match day two and you have to travel to to several different countries and that's between September and, and December do you think now with Frontale, like no chance really of finishing the top three and there's no chance of going down, will Oniki put all his eggs in the, the ACL basket or will he still continue to play the, the first team in, in J1 and then sort of play, play reserve players in, in the ACL? And is that more of what, what Gomez has been brought in to do, to, to play specifically in the ACL rather than J1? Like, what, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think he's been brought in with that in mind. Um, but... I, I, I don't think Oniki is capable of uh, distinguishing between different competitions because he pretty much plays the same people all the time anyway. Um, and I think last year our big target was, was it last year? This year our big target is to retain the league, uh, to win back the league title. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, I think last year our big aim was the ACL. So it's just like... Stop making these aims. I think maybe <laughs> make our big aim to sell a certain amount of sh- new shirts or something like that. I think because we we seem doomed to fail. I can't I can't imagine us doing well. Um, but yeah, I'd, I you've got to think that the priority will be the ACL or perhaps the Emperor's Cup mm-hmm. because that's all we've got left. But as I said, I don't think he's. I don't think he he will be able to prioritise anything. I think it will be as soon as someone comes in, uh, if they score a goal, like Segawa came on against against Gamba, wasn't it? I think and <clears> scored <throat> twice. Um, and then now he's been in the team for the last two games. Uh, so I think Oniki's just he, he's he's very slow to react to anything. <clears throat> and then when something he sees something good, it's like, oh I'll, I'll stick with this for a while. And doesn't notice like things falling to pieces elsewhere. But yeah, so in in brief, even though I haven't been very brief, <laughs> yeah, I think he's prioritising the ACL, and that's why we've got Gomez. But I, I mean, I can't, I can't see it's not going to happen. I don't think. <laughs> well, the kind of last thing I wanted to ask you about is you know Gomez. He, he wasn't he wasn't involved in the, the game against Hiroshima. And, your next game is is next weekend. Uh, I know you don't really want to think about football until until the next weekend, but but you are playing Sapporo at home, and you know 
you might not be in the best of form, but but Sapporo have uh, have no wins in the last eight J1 games and have lost the last two away games three nil. So I'd imagine uh, your fans are going to have to expect fans are going to that game expecting to to win. Uh, how's your your feeling ahead of that game and and also maybe. I know you can't necessarily speak for Frontale fans as a whole, but but how, how will the Frontale fans be, be feeling ahead of that game against Sapporo? Uh, to, to speak about the other fans first, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the thing I'm least qualified to speak about, <laughs> I guess, in these two questions. I think people, I just, they're, they're unbelievably, um, not relentless isn't the word, uh, they're just, uh, oh, I can't think of the correct word, but just no, nothing can uh, destroy the morale of the people I'm in the pub with afterwards every week because it it really is it really is a mystery why uh, everyone is quite so positive and um, I think oh no I just sound like a broken record but last last week after the um, Vissel game uh, the barman was joking with some other uh, customers about how oh Neil really doesn't like referees and Neil likes to criticise referees. And I said, oh, no, 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 not only referees, also uh, managers. <laughs> so um, uh, I think, yeah, just this kind of like Frontale fans are like whack-a-moles. So every time we get smashed down, and it's particularly if we lose to uh, a team we should beat in sort of a really, really with a woeful performance, after the match, people will say things like, oh, yeah, that was an awful shame, and oh, maybe we're a bit unlucky. But I'm really looking forward to next week's game, and I think these people are so. What is the word? It begins with R. Uh, I can't remember it. Uh, it's not. It's not relentless, and it's not resourceful, but uh, resilient. There we go. Resilient. Right. They're so resilient that it's just always, uh, always looking forward to the next week. So I imagine these people will think we're going to do well. Um, like you said, they're in terrible form, so you couldn't really hope for a better team to play. But then San Sanfrecce have been in quite bad form until the previous game and then this game. So I think it doesn't really matter who we play. And then a few years ago, we were, I think we were going really well in the league. And then Sanfrecce, uh, Consadole came to Todoroki and absolutely whooped us, like by five goals or something like that. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I think they're a team that most teams in the J-League would like playing because they're so gung-ho. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I don't think it doesn't always work out that way for us. Um, but I imagine he'll, uh, he'll be involved, or Gomis will be involved next week. Mm-hmm. And I imagine if he manages to score and we manage to win, then everything will be uh, sunshine and flowers in Frontale land again. So, uh, yeah, it's... it's mm. Yeah, I, I, I hope I answered your questions there. <laughs> no, th- thank you very much for, for answering all, all my questions. And also, uh, again, yeah, th- thank you very much for, for joining me. I, I know it wasn't easy. If, if it makes you feel any better, I think I was on Big Podlet last year after Gamba lost 5-2 to Sam Frecci and we're, we're winning 2-1 with 20 minutes to go. So yeah. I, I do I do honestly know how, how it feels. So, yeah, Neil, thanks very much for, for joining me and, and helping me out. And I hope you enjoy the, the rest of your day. Yeah, I, I hope I do as well. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to go out drinking today because, um, well, because of yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to, it's too hot to drink, but I'm just going to ignore the heat and just going to have a, have a nice drink and go to a record shop. So that, that'll do me nicely.
No, that, that sounds like a lovely way to, to spend your Sunday. So yeah, th thanks again very much to, to Neil. So after a quick hit of music, yeah, I'll be back to, to round up uh, four games from, from this, round, this week's uh, round of fixtures. Thank you very much. Welcome to part two. Now I'll review four games from match day 24 and also announce my player of the round. Avispa Fukuoka nil, Arborex Niigata won. Avispa came into this tie looking for a six consecutive J1 victory and prior to kickoff, many pundits would have heavily fancied them to see off Alberex at home. However, this being the J-League, rather inevitably, that didn't happen. Fukuoka fell behind in the 19th minute. Persistent play down the Niigata left led to captain for the night Yuzuru Shimada firing in a low cross. Takumi Hasegawa and Yota Maejima challenged for it and the ball connected with Hasegawa first before spinning up off Maejima and passed Masaaki Murakami in the home goal. Hasegawa initially thought he'd bagged his first ever J1 strike, but unfortunately for him, this one officially went down as an own goal. Niigata had the better of things after that though. I think it's fair to say there weren't a whole lot of clear-cut chances at either end. Anything positive for Avispa seemed to involve Yuya Yamagishi. In fact, he accounted for three of the eight shots in this match, though these efforts tended to come from the edge of the box and with plenty of Niigata defenders back. Alberex fans would have liked the combination play they saw between Koji Suzuki and Motoki Nagakura. Nagakura, of course, has just recently joined from Gunma in J2, and this was his first start for Niigata. He, like Yamagishi, registered three shots, and just two minutes into the second half, he fired just wide of Murakami's left-hand post after being played in by Suzuki. That was probably the pick of his chances, the Yamagishi-Nagakura shootout didn't end up producing any goals in the second 45, and the game ended in a 1-0 away victory. That means Niigata, they're on to 28 points, and we can probably say they have a foot in J1 for next season. For Fukuoka, disappointment in this game, but overall the Pritcher looks pretty rosy for them. They are currently in 8th position. Urawa Red Diamonds 1, Nagoya Grampus 0. Reds entered this tussle one place below Grampus in the standings, but with a whopping 7 points separating the two sides at kickoff, I think it was pretty clear that anything other than a home win would all but end Uraba's hopes of finishing the top three this term. Reds coach, Mashie Scorja, once again went with Jose Kante up top, and this time he had Yoshio Koizumi, starting the league for the first time since mid-May, just behind him, with Shoya Nakajima having to once again make do with a spot on the bench. For Grampus, Kaspar Juncker was ineligible as per the conditions of his loan agreement and Noriyoshi Sakai took his place in what I'd have to say, with all due respect to Sakai, is probably one of the biggest drop-offs in talent from a first choice to a backup within the whole of J1. On to the match itself and Reds got off to a great start in just the 11th minute. A nice counter started by a buccaneering Tomoaki Okubo run next saw a couple of shots from distance blocked before Takahiro Akimoto slipped the ball to Jose Kante at the edge of the Grampus penalty area and Urawa's man of the moment swiveled and hit a no-look shot first time between two Nagoya defenders and low to Mitch Langerak's right. 1-0 Reds and it's a goal that gets better and better the more you see it. The hosts remained on top for the first half hour or so Though, in what is kind of a recurring theme for Reds, clear-cut chances were at a premium. Kante, who mustered four shots in the night, threatened from around the edge of the area, while Koizumi almost crowned his return with a goal in the 28th minute, but Takuya Uchida cleared his effort off the line. Down the other end, Yuki Nogami almost joined Kante in grabbing his second goal in his many outings, 
but he shot into the side netting from a tight angle after being inadvertently set up by Kent Ewell's attempted clearance. Into the second half, right from kickoff, Reds drove forward and Kante sent a powerful effort just over from 25 yards. But after that, the best chances all fell the visitors' way. First, Shusaku Nishikawa had to be alert to deny Grandpa's substitute Naoki Maeda low to his left, before Maeda fired the rebound wide. Then, with just under 20 minutes to go, ever-impressive Nagoya wingback Ryuya Morishita cut in from the left and fired goalwards, only to see his effort clip the top of Nishikawa's crossbar. Finally, there was almost some late, late drama, as Nagoya saved up their best chance for the 94th minute. Following patient build-up play, Sho Inagaki played a lovely incisive through ball to recent recruit from Fujieda MyFC, Tojiro Kubo, but with Nishikawa and Takuya Iwanami bearing down on him, the J1 debutant blazed wide and turned his manager, Kenta Hasegawa, into a meme in the process, as he was pictured comically falling to the ground in stages in the aftermath of Kubo's spurned opportunity. Urawa, they stay fourth, but are crucially now only four points behind Grampus. They'll be delighted with the three points here, but as I alluded to in my match report, they're not creating enough clear-cut chances and have been a bit reliant on Kante moments of magic in recent weeks. Still, a first win in five J1 outings, and if they can quickly integrate Nakajima into the attack, then they could really start to motor in the closing weeks of the year. Grampus, they're still thirds, and again, as has been pointed out on this pod before, depth seems to be a real issue for them, but they are still up there fighting nonetheless. Kashima Antlers 2, Sagantosu 1 Kashima kept in touch with the top four thanks to a hard-fought victory over Sagantosu in an entertaining encounter. Tosu threatened twice in the opening 15 minutes. First, Yuto Iwasaki fired just wide before Antlers keeper Tomoki Hayakawa was called into action to tip Wataru Harada's dipping effort over his crossbar. However, just past the midway point in the first half and the home side took the lead. Former Tosu playmaker Yuta Higuchi won the ball in midfield and it fell to Diego Pituca, who played it back to Higuchi on the edge of the D. He had ample time to pick his spot and fired low past Parkio Yu for the game's opening goal. Higuchi was involved in all Kashima's good play going forwards and 10 minutes before the interval, his free kick was pushed away by Park before Kaishu Sano saw his follow-up effort blocked. Then, right on half-time, Higuchi slipped the ball to Yuma Suzuki. His cross was inch-perfect for another Tosu old boy, Yuki Kakita, but he could only head the ball straight at Park. 20 minutes into the second half, and Tosu pulled level, thanks to a beautifully crafted goal. So Kawahara dinked the ball forward for Yuichi Naganuma, who proceeded to carry it across the face of the Kashima box before laying it off to young left-back, Yoshiki Narahara. He cut in on his right foot and curled in an absolute peach, which just brushed the underside of Hayakawa's crossbar. What a way to grab your first J1 goal. Tosu's joy was short-lived though, as just 12 minutes later, a Kashima break down the left was curtailed when Keiman Togashi brought down Tomoya Fuji inside the area, and the referee had no hesitation in pointing towards the spots. Kei Chinen stepped up, and though Park guessed correctly, he was unable to get anything on the former frontale man's well-placed effort. 2-1 to Antlers with 10 minutes remaining. There were still a couple of hairy moments for the home side to negotiate though, as first Hayakawa tipped Jun Nishikawa's fizzing effort over before having to be at his instinctive best to prevent Yu Funabashi's mishit clearance from ending in a tragic own goal in the ninth and final minute of additional time. 2-1 the final score, Kashima remained fifth, just two points behind Urawa, and six of a top three berth, 
Tosu, they are down to 12th and they're in a bit of a slump having accrued just one point in their last four games. Gamba Osaka 2, Shonan Belmare 1. Gamba ran out winners here, probably in more comfortable fashion than the final scoreline suggests to make it 8 victories from their last 10 outings, while Shonan remain in last place after an evening of frustration. Satoshi Tanaka tested Masaki Higashiguchi in the home goal early on, but the first 30 minutes was largely played at a snail's pace owing to the extreme heat in the stadium. It was north of 30 degrees in Suita on Saturday night. Gamba, however, upped the ante around the half-hour mark and the ever-impressive Song Bum Gun in the Shonan goal thwarted them on several occasions. The dam burst, however, in the 37th minute, when a lovely Gamba counter involving Juana Lano, Yuki Yamamoto and Isam Jibali barreled forward to the edge of the Belmari area. Alano played it wide to Yamamoto, who centred for Jibali, and he laid it back for Alano, who coolly slotted home. 1-0 to the Neretsuri going into the interval. It should be pointed out that Gamba were wearing their special black and white summer uniforms, while Shonan were in their change white and navy kits, and this caused a slight kit clash, which forced Gamba to change from white to black socks for the second half. Though quite why Shonan didn't just wear their green and blue home kit in the first place is anyone's guess. Shonan boss Satoshi Yamaguchi brought on youngsters Tayo Hiraoka and Akito Suzuki at halftime, and they had a bit more energy about them early on in the second half. However, they were given a mountain to climb just after the hour mark, following another flowing gamba counter, which saw Alano chip the ball forward for Yamamoto, who tried to cut inside Kim Min Te, only for the big stopper's hand to get in the way. After a VAR check, a penalty was awarded, and Takashi Usami, back in the starting lineup for the first time since June, stepped up and confidently sent Song the wrong way. 2 0 Gamba and an extremely popular goal scorer inside the Panasonic Stadium. That was actually Gamba's 900th home goal in J1. Isam Jibali may have provided a fine assist for Alano's opener, but he left his shooting boots at home, and he, along with Keisuke Kurokawa, was guilty of spurning several presentable chances to kill the game off. Shonan then threw plenty of bodies forward in the final 10 to 15 minutes and were eventually rewarded in the six minute of additional time when Yuki Ohashi bagged his third goal in his many outings from close range following a Kazunari Ono flick on. However, there was to be no grandstand comeback and it finished 2-1 to the hosts. Gamba are now 11th, the highest they've been since after match day 2, and interestingly their 34 goals for after 24 games is more than the 33 they managed in each of the entire 2021 and 2022 campaigns, while Shonan are still bottom, a point behind Yokohama FC, and two back from Kashiwa. After picking up points against out-of-form sides in their previous two matches, this was a bit of a wake-up call, as they were second best for long spells against an in-form side that didn't really have to move up through the gears too often. Boss Satoshi Yamaguchi may also question some of his selections, as I feel Hiraoka added some real verve when he came on, and also there was absolutely no quality on set plays until Hiroyuki Abe was introduced late on, so I'd perhaps expect some changes ahead of their bout with Urawa this Friday. Player of the round, Makoto Mitsuda, Sanfrecce Hiroshima. I almost broke my unspoken rule of not giving this award to a Gamba player, such was the quality of Neta Lave's performance against Shonan, where he shut down opposite number Satoshi Tanaka, a player who has hurt Gamba in the past extremely effectively. But ultimately, there could only be one winner of this award this week, and that is Sanfrecce's wonderboy, Makoto Mitsuda, thanks to his winning goal and two assists in their thrilling 3-2 home triumph over Frontale. 
while it must be more than a tad worrying how quickly everything fell apart when Mitzda was out injured, Hiroshima coach Michael Skibber, as well as the loyal fans, will be delighted he's back, and they must be licking their lips to see what Mitzda, Marcos Jr. and Pieros can conjure up as a trio over the remaining 10 J1 fixtures. Part 3 now let's look at the four remaining fixtures and find out who won the Under-23 Player of the Round award before previewing match day 25. Kyoto Sanga 3, Hokkaido Consadole Sapporo 0. Kyoto erased any lingering relegation fears that they may have had with a comprehensive home win over a badly out-of-form Sapporo. Plenty of goal-mouth action in this game and it started as early as the opening minute, with Gu Sung Yun ineligible due to his loan from Consadole. Gakuchi Ota was back between the posts for Sanga and he was called into action within the first 30 seconds, producing a fine stop to deny Yukiko Bayashi. The opening 30 minutes saw several further chances. Yuta Toyokawa was off target with an effort after Naoki Otani in the visitor's goal had made a meal of dealing with Shinosuke Fukuda's cross, while down the other end Ryota Aoki shot into the side netting. Sanga forward Yogo Yamazaki then saw his effort blocked on the line by retreating Sapporo defender Shunta Tanaka. The big forward should probably have done better, but he was let down by a slightly wayward first touch and a scuffed finish along the floor. The final 10 minutes of the half then saw the drama turned up to 11. First Sanga's Taichi Hara, an earlier injury replacement for Kosuke Kinoshita, was put through by Yuto Mizawa's long ball. His run was halted by Konsadori keeper Otani and the referee awarded a spot kick which Hara duly dispatched for his first goal for the club since his summer arrival. Into injury time at the end of a frantic half, Aoki's effort struck the underside of Ota's crossbar and bounced clear, but in the aftermath it was Hara's turn to play the role of villain. Accidentally handling the ball and following a VAR check, Sapporo were given the chance to equalise from the spot. Yuya Asano stepped up, but he saw his effort well saved by Ota, low to his left, and it remained 1-0 to Kyoto at the break. Asano then had the first decent chance of the second period, firing a dipping effort just over after an Aoki layoff. But, with 17 minutes remaining on the clock, Sanga gave themselves some breathing space. Toyokawa's cross from the right wasn't properly cleared by Daihachi Okamura, which allowed Kyoto right-back Fukuda time to take a touch, then fire a shot into the ground which somehow squirmed its way past Otani at his near post. 2-0, and more on Fukuda later. Into injury time now, and it was finally time to get the Patrickometer out, as a poor Okamura clearance went straight to Sanga sub Tepe Yachida. He slipped in his fellow replacement Patrick, who rounded Otani before coolly slotting home his 10th of the season from a tight angle. 3-0 Kyoto and 96 J1 goals for the popular Brazilian. Sanga are in 15th, 9 points clear of Shonan with 10 games to go. Sapporo, they are only 2 points and 2 places above them, and as you heard in my chat with Neil Debenham, that's back-to-back 3-0 away losses for them, and they are now worrying 8 games without a win. Vissel Kobe 1, Kashua Reso 1. This game finished as a draw, a result that didn't particularly help either side, to be honest. Vissel surprisingly started with Yuya Osako on the bench, but they did create the game's first decent chance. A Ryohatsuse free kick was headed across goal by Daiju Sasaki, Mitsuki Saito then saw two efforts blocked before the ball fell to Matthias Tuller, but he could only shoot into the side netting. Saito was injured in that incident. Uh, he was replaced by Takahiro Ogihara, and there were fears that he could be out for quite a while. Right on half-time, things then got worse for Vissel, 
a flowing Kashua counter, so Sachiro Toshima feed Kota Yamada. He charged forward and played in Matias Savio down the left. The Brazilian centred, and Mao Hosoya coolly adjusted his body position to guide the ball low past Dayamaya Kawa for his fourth J1 goal in his last five outings and his ninth of the season. Hosoya could have made it two just three minutes into the second half, but he took a heavy touch while trying to round Mayakawa after being put through by Savio. Kashua would then be left to rue that missed opportunity as Kobe drew level with eight minutes remaining. Hatsuse swung in another free kick and Osaka was afforded a free header six yards in front of goal. You simply can't afford to grant him that kind of space and expect to live to tell the tale. Kashua were duly punished as Osako dispatched the ball past Kenta Matsumoto and 1-1 it finished. Vissel, they are now in the midst of something of a mini slump with just one win in their last four games, which means they are now second, two points behind Yokohama F. Marinos and three ahead of Nagoya Grampus. And they have a tricky looking trip to the capital to play FC Tokyo up next. Kashua, uh, they seem capable of going toe-to-toe with top-half opponents, but they really could do with turning draws into to wins. They sit 16th, an anemic two points above the relegation spot. Yokohama F Marinos 2, FC Tokyo 1. Round 24 could come to be seen as a pivotal moment in the 2023 J1 title race, as Marinos sealed a dramatic late victory over near neighbours FC Tokyo at Nissan Stadium on Saturday night. Things started well for the hosts when in just the 12th minute a beautifully weighted through ball from Anderson Lopez found the charging Ryo Miyaichi, promoted to the starting lineup for the first time this season in place of the suspended Elber. FC Tokyo's young keeper, Taishi Brandon Nozawa, did well to close down both Miyaichi and Takuma Nishimura to prevent them taking shots, but the ball then squirmed out to Katsuya Nagato, who took advantage of Nozawa being well outside his goal to chip a lovely effort past two retreating FC Tokyo defenders for the game's opening score. Marinos' lead lasted a mere 11 minutes though, before Terehito Nakagawa charged up the middle against his former side and played in Kota Tawaratsumida down the left. The youngster's cross was met by Diego Oliveira, whose initial effort was blocked, but then fell kindly for him to slide his 12th of the season past Hiroki Ikura at his near post. Not too much action to report after that until we entered the final 10 minutes when uh, Marinos were bailed out by the woodwork on two separate occasions. First, Adelton flicked FC Tokyo debutant Riki Harakawa's corner onto the bar before Ryoma Watanabe then unleashed a fierce effort from outside the area and once again the crossbar came to Marinos' rescue. The home side responded well to that reprieve. Uh, first substitute Kenta Inoue fired tamely at Nozawa following a Kota Mizunuma centre. Inoue then brought out a smart stop from Nozawa as he followed up Namtehi's excellent run-in shot, which in turn had forced the FC Tokyo keeper to pull off a smart one-handed block. Just moments later though, midfield dynamo Kota Watanabe produced a blistering daisy cutter from 25 yards out, which beat Nozawa low to his right and sparked wild scenes of joy amongst the Nissan Stadium faithful. A cruel ending for FC Tokyo, who sit 10th, level on 32 points with Kawasaki above them and Gamba just below while Marinos took advantage of Vissel's slip-up to move clear at the top of the standings. And with finishing like this, who would bet against them going on to retain their J1 crown? Yokohama FC 0, Serizo Osaka 1. Serizo returned to Osaka with all three points, following a professional win at the Mitsuzawa in yet another game played out in searing heat. This time the Mercury topped 31 degrees just prior to kickoff. Yuri Lara had a couple of half chances for the hosts in the opening 10 minutes, before the rest of the half descended into Serizo attack versus Yokohama FC defence. 
Shinji Kagawa sprayed some lovely passes, and Seiyamai Kuma was a constant menace down the right flank, but Serizo struggled to inject enough pace or guile into their attack to draw Yokohama FC out of their defensive shell and create high percentage chances. The game stood nil-nil at the break, and whatever Cherry Blossom's boss, Akio Kogiku, said at halftime must have done the trick, as within four minutes of the restart, his side were ahead. Kagawa picked out Kabishaba down the left flank. He went past Toa Yamane and crossed for compatriot Leo Ciara to power home from six yards, his tenth of the campaign. Much huffing and puffing followed from Yokohama FC, but in truth they rarely looked like drawing level. Serizo, for their part, were happy to sit back and play on the counter, though a lack of clinicalness held them back, even if Kabishaba and Leo Ciara can be credited with decent performances during the time they were on the field. 1-0, the final outcome, which leaves Serizo 6th, exactly where they started the match day, behind Kashima, only on goal difference. Yokohama FC, they are second bottom, a point below Kashiwa, and one above bottom side Shonan. However, they are on a run of just one win in their last 10 fixtures, and with the transfer window now closed, there will be no new attacking options, added to a side that scored just 14 times from open play all year. So at this stage, I'm getting pretty worried about their prospects. Though, as we often say, it is the J-League, so they may very well turn around and win the Yokohama Derby next week, and then go on to battle themselves to safety. As ever, we shall have to wait and see. Under-23 Player of the Round, Shinosuke Fukuda, Kyoto Sanga. Two goal-scoring fullbacks vied for my Under-23 award this week. Sagan's versatile wide man, Yoshiki Narahara, scored a wonderful effort to draw his side level away at Kashima, but they ultimately went down to defeat, and so too unfortunately does he, with Shinosuke Fukuda just edging him out. Hokkaido native Fukuda, who spent six years in Konsadori's youth academy prior to attending Meiji University in Tokyo, and then joining Kyoto this year, appeared to have a point to prove against his former side. He was quick to get forward and assist his attackers against the notoriously leaky Sapporo rearguard, logging a team-high 20 sprints, as well as making five crosses and having two shots on goal. He seems to be growing into the now-departed Koski Shirai's shoes more and more with each passing week, and with Kyoto likely able to play with the handbrake off a bit more in the coming weeks, their supporters can surely look forward to some more all-action displays like they saw from Fukuda this past Saturday. So, congratulations to Shinosuke Fukuda, who follows in the footsteps of Taishi Brandon Nozawa and Haruya Fuji as my under-23 player of the round. Now, finally, to cast a glance ahead to round 25. There's one game on Friday night, and it is a fixture with a bit of a history to it. Uh, bottom side Shonan hosting fourth-placed Urawa. Of course, uh, both former sides of new Liverpool signing uh, Wataru Endo. So that's on uh, Friday the, the 25th of August at, at 7 o'clock. Then the other eight games all take place on uh, Saturday night. That's the, the 26th of August. The, the first one's at 6pm, Japanese time. And it's Kashima Antlers hosting Alborex Niigata. Then, as I alluded to earlier, at 6.30, it's the Yokohama Derby, Yokohama FC hosting Yokohama F Marinos. Big implications at either end of the table uh, involved in that game. And, of course, the, the reverse fixture at Nissan Stadium ended in a 5-0 Marinos victory. So I'm sure Yokohama FC will be, be gunning for revenge in that one. 7 o'clock is when the, the rest of the games take place. Uh, Kashiwa Reisol hosting Sanfrecce Hiroshima. Kashiwa really need to, to get a victory in that one against a resurgent uh, Makoto Mitsuda-inspired Hiroshima. As I mentioned earlier, there's FC Tokyo hosting Visel Kobe. Visel in the midst of a, a mini slump. They really need to get back on, the, back on the rails away to FC Tokyo, but that'll be no easy task. 
And as you heard from my conversation with Neil, my Kawasaki Frontale, they host uh, Hokkaido Consadole Sapporo. Badly out of form uh, Sapporo, but yeah, form does tend to go out the window whenever they, they play. Then we've got Kyoto Sanga hosting uh, Avispa Fukuoka. And another big game in the, the south part of Osaka, Cerezo Osaka, hosting Nagoya Grampus. Uh, Grampus will be hoping to get back to winning ways after going down to Urawa uh, last week. And then the final game is a, is a mid-table clash between uh, Sagan Tosu. They're hosting uh, Gamba Osaka. So that just about wraps everything up. Uh, ben will be making a welcome return to the host chair next week. And I'd just like to say thanks to everyone for supporting me these past three weeks. It's all been new for me, so I've tried not to overstretch myself. That's why I've basically only focused on, on J1. Uh, I am aware that there have been other big events like uh, Nadeshko Japan getting to the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. And also there were several uh, on and off the field issues in the, the Emperor's Cup that I didn't discuss. I am aware these kind of things are important, but Ben does have a far more extensive contacts book than me. Uh, not trying to put words in his mouth. Uh, I'm sure he'll be able to get people uh, on the pod in future episodes that will allow a wider variety of topics to be given their proper airing. With that said, uh, I've enjoyed my time here this summer. Uh, so thanks to Ben for the opportunity. Uh, thanks to John, James and Mike for your support behind the scenes. Uh, thanks to John and Neil who appeared as guests. And also thanks to Stephen Victor for your, your questions. Uh, finally, thanks to all the patrons who support this podcast on Patreon. Uh, please take care, everyone. And I'll see you again. Uh, thanks very much. Bye.